This is a conversation with Judith Weaver. Hi, Judith. Hello, Sarah. It's nice to speak with you again. Yeah, yeah. So we last time we didn't touch upon sensory awareness, which you're you're very, very, very uh, uh, interested in. So, what is sensory awareness? Great. We um, sensory awareness, or actually, I sometimes call it now somatic awareness, because I think that even sensory. Awareness is limiting and what I consider a very magnificent, fantastic work. And it's, it's, it's a practice. It's not a method, but it's a practice of, um, us becoming more fully alive, more fully aware, more fully here. And, um, that's in every aspect of our lives and our perceptions. There is, like I said, there's no method, there's no dogma to it, but the the activity, the practice, is to explore, uh, explore all of the um, sensory input that we and whatever other input there might be, anything that we can become conscious of yeah. in our in our existence. So it's really to help us revive and reclaim our full lives. You know, it seems to me that I, I fully believe that we're naturally, most of us are born as vital, fully sensory beings. And as we become educated, as we become trained, you know, different traumas, tensions, diminishes our vitality, thereby uh, it creates unrest and even insecurity in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so sensory awareness, again, that goes back to my naming, the work I do is somatic reclaiming. Sensory awareness helps us, brings us back to that the simple life, the more full life maybe. Yeah. And um, the practice is exploring. Uh, so we explore gravity, breath, touch, balance, energy, Movement, action, rest, anything. In fact, sometimes I feel like I'm really cheating because all I'm doing is leading people in child games mm. in a sensory awareness workshop, for instance, or um, it's more game-like because there's more than one person. In individual sessions, it's probably more, much more intimate. And um, basically, there is nothing wrong. That's an important uh, emphasis for me in this work, there is nothing wrong. It's just for us to learn what is, what really is. And then if we don't like it, if becoming aware of it uh, makes us uncomfortable, then we have the awareness and we can change it if we want. But without awareness, we work, we continue with our habits, with how we've been trained. And uh, sometimes that's not optimal. So um, this is really, it's very, very simple. You might say it's nothing special in this work. In fact, the founder of the work never had a name for it. <laughs> uh, maybe I should give you some history. Yeah, 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 that would be great to have a little bit of history about that because it's one of these things that, in a way, uh, is around and everybody would say that they're doing something that is about sensory awareness. But it's good to also see it as something that um, is not just generic and has its own uh, history and its own uh, 
Yeah. Growth. Exactly. I agree that every, every, uh, good psychotherapist, even if they think they're a somatic psychotherapist, you know, body oriented or not, every good person, um, clinician does use, does, uh, um, what attend has some uh, connection with this work and brings their client into this. But to know more about it and how to use it is um, is very very helpful and allows me and my students personally to use this work, this practice even more um, effectively. So the the work was started. Um, well, starts with everybody who's born, of course, but, but in the professional field, Elsa Gindler was in Berlin and, um, back in the early part of the 20th century and, uh, was doing the work that most people did in, in Germany and around that time. It was called gymnastics and it was beautiful movement and they moved beautifully and, uh, moved to, music and through balls and everything and at one point to make a long story short she became ill and had to really really find her the quiet in herself to heal herself mm-hmm. which she eventually did and uh, by 1913 she had developed this work which was very different from the exercises of gymnastics and all yeah. and she opened up her first studio in 1917 and it was basically bringing people more to quiet, to really uh, experience what they were experiencing. And um, the, the great differences in a lot of the other work, for instance, is that um, we don't do exercises. There aren't exercises in sensory awareness. There, what we do are... Uh, Explorations. So mm-hmm. we explore. And as I said, the most important thing is that if there's nothing wrong, everyone will have a different experience when they're being true to themselves because we're all different. And then also, we also find the, um, the similarities, how we are not different. Uh, so it's the experience that is, um, important. So, so something about uh, the experience through exploring as opposed to doing an exercise of, uh, of training the body in a specific exercise. So if, you know, you were leading me, uh, in a, in a session of exploring, for instance, what would you be, uh, suggesting to me to explore? Well, basically it is so open-ended, I wouldn't even know. What okay. to ex- suggest you to explore? I would, I would start often. I start with a person's breath, but in a uh, one-on-one session, the person who's sitting next to me, whatever it is that's happening, you know, as as body-oriented psychotherapists, we 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 look at everything. So mm-hmm. if if the person's uh, finger is twitching, or if they're leaning to one side, or whatever it is, that's where I would go. Unless, and sometimes people bring in, um, you know, specific issues that they want to work with. And the, the most important thing here as we're going and talking into uh, working with people, often I have found, an, um, um, and we all do it, you know, we ask a client, 
So what are you feeling now? Mm-hmm. And often, very often, that client says, well, I'm feeling fear, you know, or something. And, and the answer from the client is an emotion or I might say an interpretation. Yeah. And yeah. that, that's very difficult for me because my fear is different from her fear or his fear. And how do we work there? But if I can say, what are you sensing right now? What are your sensations? Or what is your experience of yourself right now? And then if they talk about the tightness in their chest or, or the knot in their belly or something, that's, first of all, it's a lot less um, loaded mm-hmm. and easier for us to work with these senses. And it's, it's sort of like it's underneath the emotions that um, where a lot of good work can be done without the um, all the em- embroilments of the uh, the the emotions and connections around there. Yeah. So either the intensity or the constructed reality or interpretation. Uh, right. Just staying at the level of the physical sensation. Right. Right. And it's not just physical, of course. And so one of the things that in the work, you know, I got off even talking about about history. So Gindler was in Germany. People brought it to the United States in the late 30s. And Charlotte Selver was one of the persons who came from the Gindler School to the United States. And there were others, but she was the one who um, actually was, you might say, discovered by Alan Watts. I'm told somebody, uh, you know who Alan Watts was, mm-hmm. the popularizer of Zen Buddhism in the West, and someone called him one day and said, I met a woman who does what you talk about. <laughs> Which is really funny. And uh, he studied with Charlotte Silver a lot, and he introduced Esalen to Charlotte Silver, and she actually gave the first experiential workshop at Esalen in 1963. Mm. And... Um, and she, uh, one of the things we were not allowed to do, to use, was, you know, they weren't exercises, but even to use the term body. What are you feeling in your body? That's quite limiting. I mean, it's definitely pointing to the senses, but it's not just body. Yeah. And, yeah. and the term body, which is why I use the term somatic psychotherapy a lot more than body psychotherapy, is because that also is limiting. Mm-hmm. It's not, I mean, you, how, we can't divide body and mind. Yes. We can't, we can't separate them. So what are you feeling or what are you experiencing is, um, gives us more of a, of a full possibility than what are you feeling in your body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and so back to history a little bit. The interesting thing is that, um, Wilhelm Reich, First wife studied with Gindler. In fact, Eva, Reich's daughter, told me that she was sent to what she called a Gindler school. And she mm. loved it because she was allowed to crawl under things and climb on things and was very, very active. And then Reich's second wife, Elsa Lindenberg, also studied with Gindler. But we're not sure whether that was before or after uh, she and Reich split up. But but Eva feels very, very strongly that if it weren't for the Gindler influence, that Reich would not have come to um, work with 
body and breathing in his psychoanalysis work. So she feels it was very, very strongly influenced. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Reich's best friend, Otto Fenichel, studied with Gindler. His wife, Claire, was a, was a Gindler person, and she brought, um, uh, she brought Otto into the work. And um, Eric Fromm in the United States was an avid student of, um, of Charlotte Silvers. And there were many, many uh, therapies, therapeutic practices developed in Europe that traced their roots back to Gindler. And at one point, I think most of the uh, psychiatrists in the William Allenson White uh, Institute of Psychiatry in New York, founded by, what, Eric Fromm and Harry, Henry Stack Sullivan, they were all studying with Charlotte Silver. And, and Fritz Perls studied with, um, well, Fritz's wife, Laura, studied with Gindler in Europe, and Fritz studied with Charlotte quite, quite intensely in New York for some years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, we have an article in a journal, the journal Body Movement and Dance and Psychotherapy, that w- uh, was co-written by two gentlemen in Europe and myself, really trying to figure out how Reich and if and when he was influenced and all of that. And one of them translated a a quote uh, from German that Fritz Perls wrote in 1947 to his, um, to his wife, uh, when he was working with Selber, and he said, I finally found what I've been looking for all over the years, uh, this this kind of work. So it's definitely influenced mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, various therapeutic practices, psychotherapeutic and others. I mean, Peter Levine was influenced by it. And in fact, Serge, um, in 2004, Charlotte Selver died, I think it was in 2002, at 102 years of age, and in 2004, um, I was asked to be the guest editor. Jacqueline Carlton invited me to be the guest editor of the USA um, Psychotherapy ju- Journal, mm-hmm. and it's in memoriam to Charlotte Silver. But there are lots and lots of articles by different therapists and how they were influenced by this work and how they used this work. Yeah. So um, that might be nice for. Um, our members to know. Yeah, yeah, to see that, uh, the richness of, uh, of what, uh, what it inspired. Really, yes, yes. And as I said, it's, it's basic in any good therapy, I think. But there are, um, various ways of working, both individually and in groups and, I mean, with couples, uh, that the practice of sensory awareness or somatic awareness can help us be more uh, somatically interactive, you might say. And uh, the, this helps me a lot when I work with children. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even young children, as I said, uh, working with adults, I feel like I'm working with children too, because it does bring out our more natural uh, exploration, fun-loving uh, part of a, us. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm torn in a way between two possible ways that 
we could take here. Uh, one is to go back to what you were saying about Gindler and how she came up with that, mm-hmm. and to see if from the beginning for her it had a psychological component. Uh, um, good yeah. Yeah. No, it did not. It did not, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's in a way that um, a lot of people, as they were exploring their own process of psychotherapy, that they saw how it could enrich uh, or how it was in sync with what they were exploring. Yes, and I, I must give a lot of credit. Ginder, you know, back in the early 20th century, psycho analysis was just being developed. Mm-hmm. And Gindler heard about it. People, I mean, certainly the Fenicles, you know, other people were there. And Gindler, I'm told, Gindler recommended people to go to a therapist or to go into analysis. She did not do it. And Charlotte Selver was very, very, very strong about it. Um, when Fritz Perls studied with her every day, privately for a year and a half, I'm told, and he wanted her to take on his clients, mm-hmm. and uh, she refused. Yeah. And she was not a psychotherapist, neither was Gindler, and, and, uh, but she, Selver, I know because of my personal experience with her, she firmly believed that no matter what it was, sensory awareness was, you know, would heal it or would take care of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Something, and I must Admit that, as you can imagine, uh, doing this simple, deep work, a lot comes up. A lot comes up. Um, traumas from the past, all sorts of things that have been buried because we're finally, what, being more real? Maybe um, uh, the practice of sensory awareness is you know, nothing's wrong, but if I feel something in me that doesn't feel good, then I have the choice to change it or to let go of that tension and if that tension has been holding down some memory that I have not wanted to to pay attention to, there it is. Yeah. And yeah. Selver very firmly believed that, well, there it is, so just keep on sensing. And that is what that experience of, well, there it is, uh, for me, is what brought me to combine my work in um, Reiki and based you know, more, more, uh, analytic, psychoanalytic therapy and the sensory awareness. So I feel that it works very, very well together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but the work ne- called sensory awareness, even though some of the people who practice it are therapists, some of the people who practice it are not therapists. Yeah. And it's very definitely not a psychotherapeutic practice, but how can it not be when you can't separate your body and your mind? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the focus of these people is not to do psychotherapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, what we're talking about now when, you know, you're, uh, you're doing a workshop or, you know, working with people individually, it is something that is integrated um, with psychotherapy in the sense that you are a psychotherapist, so you, you you're not ignoring that component or that way, right. of, that right. framework. Right. Yes. Yes. Where Charlotte Silver would just ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blessings on her. <laughs> 
And it was really amazing. And in so many ways, she was saying, look, don't get messed up with your mind with all of those. Just stay with what is, what is here and now. And, you know, when you stay with what is here and now, a lot of the other habits, fears, traumas, whatever, do fall away. And we Mm -hmm. stay very fully uh, supported by the here and now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But in a way, um, just uh, somebody who has a meditation practice uh, is not doing psychotherapy, stays with the here and now. Right. And, uh, and it doesn't mean that you cannot also, uh, integrate a meditative approach with psychotherapy. Right. Right. And the difference is that in many meditative approaches, there are some, there's some form, some pattern. And when you get to the, uh, into the more, uh, the older lineages, uh, there is tradition and dogma and, and all sorts of things. And this is, you might say, sometimes when I give workshops, I just call it everyday meditations. Mm-hmm. Because that's what it is. It's meditations without the, the history and without the dogma and without the whatever. It's just the, the, so what's happening right now? Yeah. The, the awareness, which is the ultimate meditation. Yes. Yeah. So one way to, to describe, um, what happens in a workshop that you give on uh, sensory awareness or somatic awareness is, uh, it's a moment to explore what's happening right now within the context of a group. Yes. Yes. And not only the group, I mean, there is the, you know, we work a lot with ourselves, with our own personal Actions, interactions, and then in a group we have the opportunity of working interactively with others, but not just others, um, other objects as well. I mean, picking up a rock. There's a lot of, there's a lot that's happening as mm-hmm. I pick up a rock. I, you know, my weight changes, my, um, my balance changes, there's the touch, all of these things. So, uh, for instance, if we were, in the middle of a workshop um, and the exploration of the moment, we're about picking a rock. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of suggestion, what kind of um, um, advice, or um, what would you be doing to guide the people in the uh, workshop? Aha, great. No suggestions, no advice, actually no guiding other than uh, would you like to pick up that rock? Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, but he, okay, so what happens when I say that? Yes. Just saying that. Already, some people have already picked up the rock and put it down before they've moved, you know? <laughs> and um, all of those other things. So it's just, it's as open and as also contained because you pick up a rock by yourself. I pick up lots of rocks in my garden. Do I feel the weight? Not unless they're really, really heavy. Mm-hmm. But what does a small rock do? How do I respond to a small rock as compared to how do I respond to a larger rock? It's very, very different. Mm-hmm. So would you be asking these questions as people pick up rocks? I would ask them um, not how does it compare, because that's taking them away from the moment. Mm-hmm. But I would say, uh, you know, so would you like to p- pick up this rock? And now what happened? What's ch- happened to your balance? You're probably 
possibly, on your toes already going there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as you walk, can you, are you feeling the rock already? What are you anticipating? Or are you here with this step? And then when you get to the rock, I mean, even just looking at the rock, what does that do to you? Mm-hmm. And if you close your eyes, it's very, very different than if your eyes are open. And then when you finally do touch the rock, and what changes in your hands and the muscles in your hands and what happens in your lower back? Or um, how do your feet feel on the ground as you pick up, now that you have this rock? And then what if you put it on your head? Or mm-hmm. what if it's in one hand, and how does that feel? How does your weight? And then you change it to the other hand. What happened to the muscles in your arms? What happened to the weight on your feet, one side to the other? It's um, All of these are probably... Uh, not questions, but probably experiences that a child has with that w- open wonderment. But we as adults are too sophisticated to feel a lot of those things. And just the awareness, that's not going to tell me how to live in the world, but it does tell me a lot about how I am. Right. And so that does extend to how do I live in the world. The um, just at the moment of picking the rock, um, what it is is the uh, questions you're raising are a way of not taking for granted the experience, but of noticing various levels. Yes. So, yeah. uh, so in a way, you're sharing your experience uh, by sharing that there's a lot of things to notice where I might have just taken for granted that, oh, it's just picking up a rock. Yes, but all of those things to be noticed are, they're amazing. And and as I learn about that, all of these things to be noticed, and as my my notice um, capabilities expand, I can feel more alive, more safe. In the world. Mm-hmm. If I feel my back, as well as my size, as well as my front, then can I be more embodied? Can I be more fully here in the world? And, and sometimes, I mean, one of the very, very common things that I find in um, classes is that, is that people learn that when they come to face another person, they stop breathing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people... We do that just habitually. How many of us really know that? So learning something like that um, can help us be more at ease, be more fully ourselves. Um, but so, so um, you know, just I'm staying in a way at the, um, the, the more experiential level of having a sense of what happens in mm-hmm. a workshop, in a class, in a session. And uh, so one of them is, for instance, what happens when you pick up a rock. Mm-hmm. Another is, in a way, what happens as you walk toward another person and notice this person and yes. start engaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm trying to get the sense of, in a way, um, what you're describing is the process of exploring, that practice of exploring, as opposed to an exercise. Um, so, for instance, um, 
in other forms of paying attention to the body. You could be, um, you know, doing an exercise with moving your arm and yes. noticing something. So how would it be um, in uh, sensory awareness? Um, is there, would you have, for instance, an exploration of moving your arm or moving your leg? And oh. what would it be like compared to an exercise? Well, um, yes, we do spend a lot of time sometimes moving our arm or leg and also having other people move our arms and legs. Mm-hmm. And, and the difference would be if it were an exercise, maybe I would tell uh, you how to lift your arm, mm-hmm. or where to lift your arm, or how fast. And... Um, I would not say how or where. Well, sometimes I might, or I might say slowly, but it's still open for you to experience whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and another thing that's important, when I feel that the exploration is, is finished and I'm ready to go on to something else, I also tell people that if whatever they're with is still meaningful, don't follow me, follow themselves. So someone might want to stay with that a lot longer than my, quote, exercise, unquote, would um, take. But it's important. That's their, that's their um, experience. Yeah. yeah. And, and then working with someone else lifting my arm is a whole nother experience, of course, and that brings in all sorts of other issues, like what? Trust, um, allowing, um, tension versus relaxation. All sorts of things can come up just with a very simple activity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, so that really that... Um uh, the the practice is really very strongly rooted in the observation, as opposed to doing something specific. It's really observing whatever it is that you're doing. The, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I have a little bit of trouble with with the word observing because okay. that still makes it I'm looking at it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I wouldn't say can you notice that or can you observe it. It's more. What is your experience so that I'm in it rather mm-hmm. than observing it? Yes, so you're not separate from what you're observing. Right. You're very in it and you're paying attention to the experience. So very, it, it feels, uh, you know, there's a very strong concept of you're not separating mind and body. You're not separating yourself from the experience. Right, right. And I think that's, that's a fine point that um, makes the difference. For me, in the work of sensory awareness, sometimes just one word can change a person's experience so much, as we all know. Mm-hmm. So we have to be, as facilitators, <clears throat> this, uh, in sensory awareness, we're not teachers. We're leaders, maybe. I, and mostly, it's an invitation I give to someone, not a direction. Or, um, um, And then I let them find what it is for them, what the experience is for them, and then we can go from there. Wonderful. So as uh, we're coming toward the end, is this a good place to conclude, or is there something you would 
want to uh, to add? You know, I'd, I'd like to give a little example of mm-hmm. really, because I talked about individually and then in group, and then I I haven't spoken much about taking this out into the world, and to me, that is so important. How do we live in the world, um, and how do we deal with, meet people, um, interact with people in the world for the best of all of us? And just one example comes to mind of a long, long time ago. I was giving, I was scheduled to give a workshop um, at Esalen, and um, there was a group of seventeen, actually seventeen people from Japan who came to this workshop specifically. And uh, Esalen forgot to tell the few other Caucasians who were registered for the workshop that there would be a group of seventeen Japanese, hmm. none of whom spoke English, and. Um, that night, there were, I think, five Caucasians, one of whom was a man from a, a country in Europe who was not happy at all. <laughs> he was not happy at all with the Japanese group. He was not happy with a lot of things. And it was a, it was very, very obvious to me, anyway, that he was having problems. And um, I give him a lot of credit for even staying in the workshop. But on the second or third day, we were just... Uh, uh, working with the activity of standing, of standing. And um, a Japanese man described how he felt when he was standing, and the uh, man from Europe gasped, and he said, this is how I was taught to stand, you know, as a child in my school, as, and you can imagine what was happening in Europe back in the, you know, this was in the 30s in school, and the, the, the men just sort of bonded with each other, they both had the same experience. Mm. This European man hated Japanese. He told us afterwards he hated Japanese. <laughs> and, um, and But just that experience of knowing that they had a common experience in their, in their, in their bodies, I want to say, but in their whole beings. Yeah. I, I saw, I saw, uh, anger and hatred just melt. And and those men really bonded with each other, and were good friends for a long time. And it's just um, simple, simple awarenesses of ourselves, and maybe the um, the uh, uh, camaraderie, the things that we share, mm-hmm. can I would hope um, help us communicate in the world, and maybe maybe experience um, people in different ways. Yeah, yeah. so as we, um, um, we go into the experience itself as opposed to the extra layers uh, right. you know, that we can build on it. Right, and that we are all human, that we all have these experiences, that we all have you know, pain and, and whatever and happiness and everything, and that we you know, can communicate on that level. Yeah. Beyond boundaries and dogmas and maybe under boundaries and dogmas. And under, just the yeah, yeah. Of, of us being being uh, human beings. Hmm. Thanks, Judith. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website relationalimplicit.com people in different ways
Yeah, yeah. So as we um, um, we go into the experience itself, as opposed to the extra layers, uh, right? You know that we can build on it, right? And that we are all human. That we all have these experiences. That we all have you know pain and and whatever and happiness and everything. And that we you know can communicate on that level. Yeah. Beyond boundaries and dogmas and maybe under boundaries and dogmas and under, just the yeah, yeah. Of, of us being being uh, human beings. Hmm. Thanks, Judith. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website relationalimplicit.com.